Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture this. You're stranded on an island forever. Don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you, your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us, will ask this question. We'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome Welcome to to Dish. Folks, welcome to Dish. My name is Tegan Higginbotham. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And we are trapped on an island in the middle of the South Pacific somewhere. I hate this. So far, (laughs) we have kidnapped several incredible guests, including Georgia Love, Sammy Shah, Lola Berry, Maxie Mm -hmm. Shield. And this week, we are bringing onto the island somebody who will hopefully be tantalizing our taste buds with sweet baked goods from here until eternity. I'm not sure what she's going to bring to the island, but I'm very excited. Now, her baking is absolutely incredible. And if you've downloaded the episode, you already know who it is. Yes. We generally try and make our guests very welcome. In this case, we're going to make an extra effort. I've actually cleared this incredible plot of land. Really? Yeah, which I know it's not, you're not meant to show favourites, right? Mm -hmm. And also our lawyer would like you to stop using the word kidnap, (laughs) okay? We don't have a lawyer, but if we did, oh, we do on the mainland. I just think, look, once they get here, it's a, you know, it's a relocation program. It's a relocation program it's a now, form- is it? Yeah, and we, tr- we we do trick them, but everyone's thriving. Everyone's, you know, off building their own kind of enclaves and cooking, and it's 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 all going well. Yeah, you say thriving. I do sense burgeoning warfare, but sure, we'll call it thriving. There's actually a rare type of berry on the island that, when ground up in a mortar and pestle, can be used as a very effective war paint. But we've just gotten word from our um, pharmacological <laughs> department that, uh, it's me, that it's very poisonous. Uh, I can't actually see out of the left side of my face. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very toxic. So whilst it will look really good as you're blowing through a conch and storming the grounds of other contestants on the show. Contestants? Are they contestants now? Oh, my God. Is oh there God. some sort of game element now? There's got to be a cook-off at some point, right? I, I mean, it's always made sense for me that we're on a food island mm. and that we should bring in the Hunger Games in some way. It just works. The connection is there. Yeah. But I, I mean, all right, let's just see what's <laughs> happened because so far... We've established so few rules. If you've been with us on this journey from the very beginning, yes. you know that when we're on the island, there is no visitor center. Sharing is allowed. Mm-hmm. and I think there's plumbing. <laughs> there has to be plumbing. Because what I want is a kind of, you want a kind of cutesy, what you, oh my God, what you want is that communal dining area from Hook. You know, right? Do so you know that's one of my most confused film food memories? Because right. I remember as a child that the, the the reveal that he can finally see this sumptuous feast that everybody's enjoying. But the food looks terrible. It looked like shit. It looks like goo. 
It's garbage. What we're saying. So, right, so you want there to be a communal food area and yeah. you want there to be toilets near the communal food area. Now, you bounced off the idea of the visitor centre from Jurassic Park yes. with the kind of gleaming chrome. I think the reason you bounced off it is because the materials used to build those things weren't here when we got here. Now, the benefit of the kind of treehouse wonderland in Hook is that it's all made of bamboo or leaves or wood. But somebody still had to build that. And what are you saying? That Georgia Love got stuck <laughs> in the second... I mean, I would believe it. She the is- woman can do it. Anything, She's but... very industrious. She started a pajama line off her own back during lockdown. She's a genius. Yeah, but that's not a tree hut. It, it, look, a lot of skills are transferable. Okay, shut up. Look, we need to get on to this week's guest. Mm. Now, one of the reasons that we are so excited to have her on the show, other than the fact that her Instagram is one of the tastiest things you're ever going to lay your eyes on, is the fact that she is now part of the history of one of our favourite television properties ever. So, Oh, Lost. <laughs> She's the smoke monster. <laughs> she is the smoke monster. We love Bake Off. Um, we adore the Great British Bake Off. We never saw the first season of the Australian Great British Bake Off, the one with Shane Jacobson that nobody wants to talk about, that yeah. everybody just pretends never happened. It's like the first season of Drag Race where they talk about the, the, the season one filter. Yeah. You never go and watch it. You don't need to watch season one. We just know that... It was out there. You just gesture in its direction. But the, the the season that we got into, season two of the Great Australian Bake Off, was an absolute kick in the pants. It was so good and it captured that feeling that we craved from the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, they actually did that. It hit all of the Bake Off notes that you wanted. Mm. But then occasionally, you know, you'd see a fucking kookaburra or something flapping around and you'd go, oh. Oh, it's the Australian one. It's here. It yeah. was really well done. Now, we hosted a, uh, a recap podcast for the great Australian Bake Off, which we will actually talk about with our guest. Uh, so, And it's also, by the way, it's gone. Like, you can't go back Don't and listen. Don't look for it. Don't look for it. It doesn't exist anymore, which is a real shame. But the great Australian Bake Off kind of just consumed our lives and our hearts and our kitchens every, every week when it was on. And our guest this week is the winner of season two of the great Australian Bake Off. She's also an incredible food stylist and inventor of recipes. That's right, it's Sean Redgrave. It's so nice to talk. We haven't talked since uh, since Bake Off. God, yeah, thank God. I didn't realise at that point how much further there still was to go, you know, in the whole career change. And I was very naive at that point. And I'm, I'm glad that the next bit's been and gone. I mean, it was wonderful, such a wonderful experience. And it, it truly did change my life. Yeah, I, I think back to, you know, who I was then and I'm glad that's over. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the fact in a minute that you're trapped on a desert island and you're never going to get to see your friends and family or anyone again. And this is your <laughs> life from now. But if we can wrap back a little bit. So the first time we ever spoke to you, you had just won the very first series of the Australian... No. Second. The second, sorry. Pardon. First. First. <laughs> Take that, Paul. I knew it. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> the other one of... was a write-off. <laughs> that was before Maggie. And anything before Maggie is, you know, BC. Exactly. But yeah. you just won the series. From what I've now learned, because I've stalked you, it's not weird, you weren't in food before that. I just assumed because you were so good that you'd already been doing a lot in that space. But you're an artist. You'd gone to Whopper. You were in a completely different headspace. I was indeed, but the ironic thing is I was everyone's personal chef at uni. You know, we used to have these, my best friend lived across the road from WAPA and um, WAPA is kind of like NIDA's brother-sister school, so Mm. heaps of eccentric art folk. So we'd have these wild parties all the time and before it got to the party stage, I think I made lasagna nearly every day. 
<laughs> or, or some sort of cook up to line the stomach. So when it all happened, it wasn't um, necessarily like out of the blue. The food thing had always been in my nature, but I just don't think I'd linked that I could do it artistically with the passion yeah. I had for design and everything and that it linked to cooking and I had no desire to be the um, deranged chef in a kitchen working like 16 hours. <laughs> so at that point, the the kind of, um, I don't want to say glamorous because it still isn't, but yeah, kind of glamorous side of food, it wasn't really a thing then and it's just gone wild in the last five years. So you are, because you design recipes and you're a food stylist. When I, I just assumed very, very naively, because yours is one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Everything that you post oh, looks so you. delicious, but stunning as well. Yeah, I've seen her licking the screen. <laughs> it's really dangerous during COVID. But this is actually you. You're styling these images. That is, I mean, I don't know how you do that. We've tried to photograph some of our food, and it oh looks. Oh my god! Shit. I could spend four hours. I, I yeah, I made this. I made this uh, recipe from Hawa Hassan's book. It was this incredible stew, and it took about yeah about four hours to cook. Three different elements: fried plantains and this sauce on the side, and it just looked like a bowl of shit. Shark. Like cat sick. You made it look horrible. <laughs> I love stew that? in a bowl. What a vibe. <laughs> I think I mean to be honest like even on Bake Off I don't think I was necessarily the best baker I will own that how can I compete with like you know Angela who's won what 70,000 blue ribbons in every royal show in Australia um, Ange Fillier we have a very very <laughs> soft spot for Ange oh I love yeah, Ange she took us to the royal show once and oh she took us to we went and watched saw some of her entries actually yeah it was really cool she led us around the kind of area with the cakes in the glass cabinets and she was so chuffed oh god oh she's the queen of country baking that yeah. woman like and then you know Susie and I couldn't keep up with the sparkles but I think the aesthetic element was definitely what I tried to play on and mm. I don't know if you guys remember, but the first episode was like the biggest fucking flop you can imagine. <laughs> like, I called my mom on, we used to get this like kind of mini bus pick us up at night and take us back to our accommodation. And um, I called my mom on the bus on the way home and I was like, I'm packing, I'm fucking out. I've lost already. I lost one episode. It's over <sighs> because wow. my cake was like melting off the bench. I think I realized I'm a bit of a like strategy kind of gal and I was mm -hmm. like, all right, game, game head on. You are not the best baker here, but maybe aesthetically I might have an edge over everyone else. Mm. And I decided from that point on, like, I need to leave time in every challenge to have a lot of time to make it beautiful because I think we do eat with our eyes. Like it's we just... Do. Yeah. And that's a, that sounds like a horror film, of course. I mean. <laughs> I'm feeling some sort of like, what was the thing with the like aliens? Aliens bursting out of flowers. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You know, we, we do eat with our eyes more, especially with Instagram culture now. It's about how the food photographs mm. as much as it is how it tastes. Mm. How I mean, how do you feel about this movement where you've got restaurants opening up and it's almost purely designed from that photographic aesthetic. I think there was, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but one opened up in Melbourne and just everything was pink and it was like Instagram a heaven. 
but apparently the food was utter bollocks. Oh, well, I've seen all these wankers go out and, you know, order like every dish on the menu, take a photo, and then they don't even eat it. Jesus. So, I mean, that's just incomprehensible to me because I have a bottomless stomach and I'm like, I can take a picture and eat it all. I think this whole kind of visual movement, everything is a double-edged sword. On one hand, I think people need to realise, you know, just like models are airbrushed, food is retouched. Mm. And it's there to be inspirational and you don't need to get yourself down about something not being as perfect as someone who works in the industry. Like that is, you know, it's our job. But if it is enticing more people to learn to cook and give things a try at home and like enjoy that kind of meditative, creative process of cooking, then I'm really all for it. I think it's the more people that can learn that it's not only good for our health, but environment like spending more time with your loved ones, like on every level, it's a great thing. Oh, 100%. And we definitely fell into a bit of a kind of food experimentation hole during during COVID because, you know, we I were- I saw ins- you guys cooking all the time. Yeah, it was great. It was, it's so much, but I mean, our- Look, I'm not going to go ahead and say our, like you said, cat sick before. I mean, I know a lot of- I'm just, I guess I'm just curious as to what happens to someone like you who is actually like using the kitchen as a canvas during something as restrictive as COVID. I mean, trapped indoors, did you, did you end up creating more? Did you get sick of it? Did you kind of go a bit crazy? I had the best time of my life, actually. I was talking to um, my best friend about it yesterday because I'm in Sydney now and, you know, family, um, loved ones, I don't have anyone here with me at that time. Mm. Mm. So I ended up bunking with, a best friend who lives around the corner from my house. And I actually met her because she and her husband were big Bake Off fans. And they figured out that we all lived in the same suburb and asked me to do a cooking class one day. Oh, wow. So yeah, then we ended up being mates. But um, I was over there every day. And every day I was like, okay, I haven't made, you know, a souffle in years because I haven't had time. Today, I'm going to do a whole French themed dinner party. Nice. And then the next day was like, you know, the ravioli I've been waiting to make. And I'm not going to make that just for myself as much as I'm a hedonist. So every day was like themed day, random, you know, cuisine. And then a whole box of wine got delivered. So <laughs> I was, I was drunk. <laughs> you mean, typically, you, you mean a box full of bottles of wine, not a, not a box, not goon, right? Oh, goon's got its place. <laughs> every, every Australian played goon of fortune in, in high school, right? I sure did. No, hang on. Sorry, what, what's goon of fortune? <laughs> I'm not a bogan, I swear. Um, you literally put like Fruity Lexia or the goon bag on an old hills hoist pegged up oh. whoever it spins and hits you have to drink <laughs> jesus christ that is the most australian thing i've ever heard in my life i know with my british family and then god i've sinned but yeah that was fun and then if you're really feeling it like mix it with some passiona and vodka yeah passiona is i mean passiona and hill hills hoist we've got overseas <laughs> listeners just tuning out like what we may as well be talking about you know like ancient glyphs guys it's- iconic iconic moment and yes kangaroos are bouncing around in the background and you know yeah oh this is yeah this is what we all do Straight totally out. normal yeah um <laughs> you mentioned okay so you mentioned patting people's stomachs before can i ask a question uh as far as lasagna goes I recently stopped eating beef uh, and pork, which is, is a mm-hmm. massive problem for me because those things are delicious. Mm. 
But I met a pig and I met a cow and I got really attached and now I can't eat those animals. So okay. I'm far- trying desperately to keep him away from all chickens and lambs. Yeah, but she's also trying to convince me that um, that cows and, and uh, pigs are inherently evil and to eat them is kind of morally right. They're after us. Yeah, 100%. It's like a revenge thing. <laughs> They're the smart ones, though. I, I must admit, I really, I was raised um, vegetarian. So right. um, I've got a, you know, crazy hippie mum. Um, it was all organic food and Steiner school and really? dancing with crystals by the moon. So, yeah, there were no cows and pigs. So I, I'm pretty sparing with it. So I understand. But every now and then, like, the pancetta just gets to your oh heart, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I know. But I'm, I'm thinking here because you clearly have a have a panache. You, you are good with Italian food and every good Italian dish seems to have a big hunk of pork in it. So I'm curious as to how you would tackle a meat-free lasagna for padding people's stomachs before they go out. Parmesan rind is honestly God's gift to the, the world. So much flavour and this is why you should never buy that shitty green not going to name names but parmesan in the supermarket because (laughs) it doesn't come from a wheel so you don't get the the rind on the outside but that's the first thing to add the flavor that I guess pancetta would add to the sauce and then mushrooms I feel like even people that don't really love mushrooms once they're in a sauce and you get all that lovely flavor like the dried ones Mm -hmm. probably a mix of the shroom magic could be the way to go. I was not a mushroom person growing up. I'd only really been exposed to either mum just slicing a mushroom and putting in a in a salad like as a, is, like a Woolies button mushroom, oh, basically so uncooked, unprepped. Like a or co- it was like this slimy. Maybe it must have been sort of an oyster mushroom that just seemed to sometimes float in things. No, it was I think horrible. No, what you're talking about is the same mushroom, but it's wet. Maybe that <laughs> might have just been it. She's just. She's just left them in the fridge for a while and you got to use them. Oh, and they've been uh, sweating but, in Glad Wrap. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But shroom. now, I mean, I've had my eyes opened with mushrooms and you're right, they are the answer. But it's amazing that you say the Parmesan rind because, Paul, you've only just recently started making a new pasta sauce. Yeah, there was a um, Maria something, Maria Hassan, I want to say, and she was, she's got this recipe in the New York Times and it's you dice up Roma tomatoes, very ripe, and then you whack in half a brown onion and a big hunk of Parmesan rind and you, you slow cook it for like 45 minutes and then you take out the onion and the Parmesan rind and you put some salt and pepper on it and that's it. Like that's the sauce. Uh, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, and I've been doing it with like pan-fried gnocchi. It's amazing. The other thing before you boycott the entire animal kingdom would be anchovies. I always I love add anchovies. Well, I always add them to bolognese even if I'm making it with meat. I, I know this divides the population probably into like one quarter and then the other third um, because most people hate them. But when they're, when they're in something um, like mm-hmm. a sauce, it's just magic. So like jar of anchovies, parmesan rind, mushrooms, you don't need a pig. I have another question for you, Shan. So you had this experience where you went on the baking show and since then you found this connection between art and food and it is now your life. It's 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 just every time we see you posting, it's about food and it's gorgeous and wonderful. But I was wondering, because um, I grew up and one of my things that I just used to really enjoy doing was I would go to the football with my dad and we used to dress up in every bit of merch that we could find. Like I once wore a lunchbox on my head. We could never remember all the players' names, but we didn't mind. It was just this thing where we just genuinely loved our football. And then I started working in sports for a while and everything became about sports. And it really changed that relationship 
I had. And what's really interesting is I've not gone back and watched the football with my dad in quite a few years and now. It's partly because you're a Carlton supporter and you're ashamed. <laughs> well, that, but it burnt me out. It's I, I don't know. I saw, I saw behind the curtain and some of the things I saw I loved, some of the things I saw I didn't love. We've spoken to already a couple of people whose careers are in food. Are there things that can happen? Is there anything that the Paul and I should be aware of the more and more we we talk about food and think about food, can you burn out? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've had a close few nervous breakdowns. <laughs> it's challenging when your passion and your creativity becomes your work. And I'm sure anyone that is in an artistic industry feels like that because, I mean, for me, and this probably sounds pathetically romantic, but every time I do create something, it's like a little bit of me and it is quite a personal um, portrayal of who I am. So that's hard when people are judging that. And even after the show, I mean, everybody does and food is something that everybody's got an opinion and, and they're quite different and um, not everybody's going to like what you do. So you do have to get a bit thick skinned and realize that you're not for everybody. But um, also trying to find the time to refill your cup in terms of where you get inspiration from so that you don't burn out and it doesn't become a chore. There was a little while where I was just back to back on shoots constantly. And um, when you're freelance, obviously, like a shoot lasts for a couple of days and then you're on to the next thing. So there's no time to really settle in. I just hated cooking. I was eating toast for dinner like every night <laughs> and I, I really never want that to happen to, again because that was an awful feeling because it's like your livelihood, your passion, your source of inspiration, the thing that made you happy. You just want to say fuck it to all of us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com yeah i heard a really similar story from um judith lucy one of my favorite comedians once and she yeah, she's wonderful. And there was a period where she was very similarly just getting so much work. And as a creative, you also, you feel obligated to say yes all the time because you just don't know when the work is going to end. So you go, yes, 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 I'll, I'll do everything. And the feedback that she gave us was make sure you book in holidays and you tell your management or you tell whoever that, no, 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 I'm taking these days because otherwise you can just keep working until you are a burnt out husk of the person oh, that you yeah. used to be. Well, yeah, because you don't want to say no because freelance means you, you know, you're going from job to job. So you basically just you say yes to things even when you know you probably shouldn't because mm-hmm. even though there'll, there'll be a cost to it. I mean, how do you kind of reset that? part in your head like how do you find your joy again when you've especially at the moment when we can't travel because I'm guessing for you travel would have been a big part of that reset yeah I mean to be honest I I feel a little bit suffocated right now but at the same time it's made me realize like how lucky are we that travel is even a part of our lives There's, there's people in the world who have never even gotten on a plane and it makes you realize like how entitled Australians are in a way that it's always been part of our culture. But I've definitely learned to say no now if I get a proposition for a job and I I know I'm not in the right headspace or I don't think I'm the right fit or 
I'm just not feeling it, I'll say no. Whereas maybe like two, three years ago, I was like, yes, 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 yes. I hate this. This is horrible. Push through. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really bad at that, to be honest. I'm really bad at relaxing. I'm really bad at letting myself off the hook. And um, I definitely have like a fear of failure that's always been yeah. there for me. So reading reading helps me a lot, even reading food food books. And I've just been reading a book by a woman called Milena de Blasi, who's uh, an American woman that was a cook. And she went to Venice and fell in love with an Italian and moved there and started a B&B. So little things like that that allow me a bit of escapism definitely help. But I also love going to suburbs with all the ethnic food. There's a little suburb in Sydney called Haberfield and it's all the Italians. Like you go into the grocery store and they all speak in Italian and I love it. (laughs) And there's a little park across the road from this bakery called Raphael's and they've literally got chess tables built into the tables. Like into oh. the park. It's so cute. So there's, you know, all the old guys sitting there with their little bowler hats and like playing chess. And I go and sit there and eat arancini like a total loser. Oh, that is so romantic. <laughs> but things like that, you have to, I know it's t- super cliche to say, but you've got to enjoy small moments of inspiration. Oh God, it's been so lovely hearing you say these things. One of the big, I won't call it an issue, but one of the things between Paul and I is that he knows how to relax and switch off really well. You've just got hobbies. You've got hobbies out the wazoo. Also, I could I could switch off whilst a plane is crashing. I could go, all right, I'm just going to play something on my <laughs> iPad. Like, I'm, I'm very good at that. Whereas, Tegan, you have trouble switching off. Yeah, and very similarly, if I get to the end of the day and I haven't, you know, achieved something mm. in the traditional sense or... You know, yeah, something like that. I really, really struggle you're, with that. You're like a high-functioning creative with a guilt-based emotional economy where you basically, <laughs> unless you, it's, it, she, seriously, we'll get to the end of the day and be like, okay, I haven't achieved enough and there'll be a real kind of weight. But the thing is, you're so high-functioning and high-achieving that everything you do is amazing anyway. Oh, and that's I, lovely. But I feel like it's so amazing listening to creatives from different areas going, there's just a certain type of person who is very good at what they do, but is extremely hard on themselves. Would you say you're quite hard on yourself as well? Shana? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I think, I don't know if this is the same for you, Takes, but it's like we're the people as well that everybody thinks you're always fine. Yes. Um, yeah. Because I, I will 100% own that I probably put on a – I'm great. I'm really good. Everything's fantastic. And then I'm dying inside. (laughs) I don't really like to portray that to the world. I'm a bit stoic, but I'm definitely the tortured artist on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm brutally hard on myself. I think even when I won Bake Off, I was like, should have done that differently. Didn't finish my crock and bush how I wanted it to be. (laughs) Like, you know, and I'm like, fuck time you won. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Have your moment. And that's it. Just enjoy it is something I'm trying to teach myself as well because I don't know about you, but I'm always looking ahead. I've always got some sort of project that I'm waiting for somebody to sign off on or I'm waiting to hear back about something or get a green light on something. So it means that I'm just in this perpetual state of waiting for the next thing. Mm. And it means that when good things happen, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good. But what about, you know, this? What about this other thing that hasn't been locked in yet? And I forget to celebrate. So Paul and I have tried to become a little bit better about celebrating small wins when they happen or just stopping and acknowledging and going, no, that was a good thing. That was an objectively good thing and you need to you need to acknowledge it. But the thing is with everything we do, and I'm sure this applies to you as well, Sean, there is a finished product that you can look at and either choose to enjoy and see the positives in or be hard on. Now you make food. I mean, the thing about food is 
Sure, to a degree, it's subjective. But generally speaking, when you take a bite of something, you you like it or you don't, right? I mean, yeah. when you've when you've sat there and worked at a recipe for you know six, seven, eight hours, and you've trialed and tested and whatever, and then you actually eat the damn thing. In that moment, do you at least kind of turn off that little voice and just enjoy it? I do. I, I definitely do. And I, I mean, cooking's a wonderful metaphor for life, really, because it's like the whole process of making and getting the ingredients and all the preparation and then you finally get it and it's either better than you thought or a massive letdown right (laughs) (laughs) and I think you know it, it is the process that's so enjoyable like I the days when I allow myself to just be calm and I go to the markets and get some beautiful things and have music on and music's such a huge part of my life and have that enjoyable process it's like that was the fun part more than the eating. So I think we have to do that in life as well. And, you know, remember that if you are hard on yourself, it's like, it's a daily exercise that must be, um, you know, given to yourself. you, You don't just get patience and resilience and calm within yourself. It's not a God gifted, gifted, right. It's, um, something that takes, time to build for yourself but I think it only really hit me in the last few years that like the intent in which you do everything is just integral to to life and everything we do you can either hate where you're at and suffer through it or go through it knowing that this is all part of the journey and um, Mm. outlook is everything you always have two sides in every situation and I think that's even like the punish of people cooking. And it's like, oh, it's going to take me so long and I can't be bothered and I'll just order takeaway. Or it's like, I'm going to stop for an hour and do this and it's going to be lovely and I'm creating something that's going to nourish my body and my family. Like two different outlooks. You know, it's always there. So funny. We were going through this. We're having an odd day because we've got so many big, amazing things on the horizon and we've just been looking at them in such a tortured, exhausted, like it's never going to happen. And if it does, just this. A few years ago when I stepped away from sports and comedy, which I made this real decision of they weren't my things necessarily anymore. And I started pushing more authentically towards what I wanted to do. And that was about four years ago. Mm. And there have been a couple of projects which have been nearly ready to take off um, for about four years. Actually, I lie. One of them has been going for eight years and, and today we had a take really so much longer than you think they will. Yeah, and today I got a little bit of feedback that uh, that wasn't even bad feedback, but I'd expected to hear an answer on something today, and we probably won't hear now for a couple of other weeks. And I just burst into tears. And it's two weeks; I've already waited so long. It's fine. It's all positive, and it's still moving ahead. But in that moment, I just, I just. I'm just so done with waiting, but, you know, listening to you now and you're right, there are two ways to look at things and this process is just part of it and I need to perk the fuck up. (laughs) But, you know, it's hard because I think like fear and, and the unknown and nervousness feels very similar to excitement and anticipation and possibly something wonderful happening. So Mm. like that receptor in your brain is like the same thing, but it's just your outlook that you choose whether you're going into the fear-based thinking or the, you know, love-based thinking. And um, you just got to catch yourself on it all the time because it it is up to you. 
it's up to me, you know, it's up to all of us. Can I give a food metaphor? You know when you're kind of you know when you're caramelizing shallots or whatever and you <laughs> walk away from and you walk away from the stove and because you've not kept them moving, they catch and it's fucked, right? Like there's I feel like at every point emotionally there is a point where provided you kind of pay attention to it and kind of keep things moving, it's fine. But there is a point in every kind of creative process where if you if you if you start doing it a certain way, you're gonna kind of I mean, kind of ruin it. But as a cook, I'm guessing you do have moments where you have to kind of salvage a dish from the remnants of you not paying attention. I mean, is this metaphor at all useful or have I gone off the rails? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, also, we need to touch on the shallot and onion thing because oh, people sure. people of the world, the time that you saute onions for is the game changer. Like bolognese, stews, sauces... If you're cooking onions in five minutes, you've fucked it up. Let me just put it to you straight. <laughs> like it's the that sure. depth the depth of flavor comes from cooking onions. So please spend like twenty minutes, everybody, cooking onions. I was gonna say fifteen, but I, I re- <laughs> yeah, I really sweat those things. Yeah. I'm so impatient. Yeah. I am a no, I am. I'm a five minute. Really? Yep. Whack them around a little bit. Oh, no, there we go. Because I make Alison Roman's. Um, she makes this caramelized shallot thing, and I get like a half a kilo of shallots, dice them finely, and then I sweat them for yeah, 15, 20 minutes. I'm gonna really keep them going, and then it's the garlic um, anchovies chili flakes. I've been doing it wrong. I've right. been doing it completely wrong. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why you you know kind of uh, stuck a little bit. Maybe you need to <laughs> sweat my onions. Sweat your onions. Sweat your onions. <laughs> sweat- Sweat the Sweat onions. Sweat your metaphorical onions. That's a good t-shirt. Sweat your onions. We, we're looking for merch, actually. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want a uh, well, look, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, and we'll send you a freebie. I want uh, the free t-shirt. <laughs> all right. And don't sweat the t-shirt. Actually, you can sweat the t-shirt. You need to if you're using it as workout gear. Look, Sean, one thing we really love doing with our guests and I know that because this interview went really deep and really profound, and that's good, but it means it's going to be hard to segue to the comical part of the interview, which is asking you what your desert island dish is. This has been very hard for me to ponder um, because I love eating. Like, <laughs> I'm so lucky that I'm tall because I think the fat just kind of evenly distributes <laughs> over a larger surface area. Um I, I kind of want to say, like, am I allowed water? Will I have a water source on this desert I think, yeah, island? we'll have water. That's that's going to be fine. And I think based on what people have been saying mm. on, you know, socials and our guests, we are sharing with each other. Yes. So just know that you already have access to Georgia Loves Foie Gras. For some reason. For wow. some reason. Sammy, yeah, I know, I know. You've got access to Sammy Shah's uh, Mum's Dal, so Mama Shah's Dal. Yep. There's a there's a um a raspberry tart. It's like a Linzer tort. Linzer tort. Yep, sorry. Yep. Oh, and Gosh. um Maxi Shields has brought bolognese leftover um jaffles. The problem is though, of course, we can't keep recapping every single dish. So I think it's more important that I said this earlier on. I'm like, if you know what, if someone brings a carbonara and then 30 episodes later, Jamie Oliver rocks up and says, right, I'm doing a carbonara. Terrible Jamie Oliver impression. That's really bad. But then you have a cook-off of carbonara. That's fun. That's the thing. 100%. And of course, you have to ask, where are the eggs coming from? Are we having them shipped in? Is there an egg sauce on the island? Is there a chicken? Just one chicken, one one really overworked chicken. chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So basically... Look, the long story short, Sean, is that you can you can make whatever you want your dish. Okay, I'm actually going to be very boring here because everybody's chosen something quite obscure, but I'd probably just have like a bag of flour. Hang on. Hang on. What do you mean? You're just going to chow down on a bag of flour? No, it needs no, to be a finished product. I'm, like- I'm going to make like flatbread. I'm going to make pasta. Like wheat and dairy, I don't know if you've noticed, but are kind of like 
you know, the base of yeah. my happiness. <laughs> I've not thought about it this way. No, like, no, I as, think is ing- just bringing core ingredients. No, no, I think Sh- Sean, here's the, here, okay, here's what you need to imagine. There is a vengeful wizard living on the island, and if you pick, it's that's like asking for, it's like a genie saying, "What's your wish?" And you're like, "I wish for ten more wishes." Like you can't do that. I think you need. I think to, she's just done it. No, I think, I think she has. I, no, I think you need to pick a dish. I mean, okay. So here's the thing. It's, no, the genie can be outsmarted. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. If you could only make one thing from flour, just as a, just as an exercise, what would that be? Oh, I'm definitely making pasta. Like, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, okay. um, I'm probably like pitchy, or I like the chewy ones. I'm not as much of a egg pasta kind of fan. So the chewier mm. ones are just semolina flour. They give that um, amazing texture. So I'd go for like a, a chewy pasta with anchovies and tomato. It's good to know that that's what you do, but I'm I'm supporting Sean 100% here on her bag of bag flour. Of flour. <laughs> <laughs> that's fuck. You're a fucking cheat. <laughs> no, she's not. She's outsmarted you and you're upset about it. Well, no, oh, here's, here's the thing, Sean. You're just on the like gluten bashing wagon of the world. Where no, you know, I love look. I are love you keto? gluten. You're keto. God. No, no. <laughs> until I, until a bag of flour bats its eyelids at me, I'm I'm still going to keep eating flour. But my problem with this is, if you go bag of flour, you don't have any other ingredients, right? I have Which... water and I have bolognese sauce. No, I'm so, oh sorry. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, you're ta- you can empty Hang out Maxi's sandwiches. This is fucking great. So you're taking Maxi's sauce filling, filling, fr- and then you're putting that on your freshly made pasta. On right? my pasta, and then if she's made jaffles too, I'm going to yeah. take the crusts and I'm going to make pangrattato like crunchy breadcrumbs on the top. Mm. Oh my God. Okay, I will. I will allow it, and this is amazing <laughs> because now what we're getting is cross dish synergy. And what we should do is check in later to see what else you can cannibalize shamelessly from other people's dishes. Right? I love, I love that. that as time goes on and our tribes evolve, because we're pretty sure that Georgia loves foie gras is going to split the island. Um, I love that soon. Also, you're going to have to pick tribes, not just on your moral beliefs, mm. but on who's got the better ingredients. Oh God, this is Survivor. I love this. Oh, it is, but no one's getting kicked off. We just keep adding people to the island. <laughs> With more food, thank God, because we'd starve. But yeah, I'm. I'm. I would go with the wheat. Like, I think I had some past life as like you know a Roman dancing naked under the sun on the wheat harvesting festival or something. You know, like, I don't I'm, know. It's by the sounds of things, how you're brought up, I think that was just your childhood, <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? It's just me now in my backyard <laughs> <laughs> with my small crop of wheat. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's a mega harvest this COVID festival. Well, look, I think Sean, I think that's about all the time we have. But I mean, I, we hope you enjoy your time on the island. I thank you for bringing some weirdness and some profundity some to the wisdom, some incredible wisdom, wisdom and wheat, wisdom and wheat. That is my catchphrase. Such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Bag of flour. That is such a cop-out. It isn't. I think it's genius. I just love that we keep on inviting all these fascinating people onto the island and they keep fucking with your rules and it's doing your head in. <laughs> it's so it's so annoying. But one of the great things about Sean and her ability, because she's like a MacGyver in the kitchen. Yes. She can take ingredients like a bag of flour and turn them into incredible things. And to that end, Tegan, yes. whilst we were off on one of our sneaky sojourns back to the mainland, which everyone here is going to be super mad about when they find out we have like a weird teleport device going mm-hmm. on. I actually had a crack at baking my first thing ever. I've never baked before, right? No, the closest you've come is icing biscuits. Yes, uh, double icing, thank you. Sorry, double icing biscuits. I ice your biscuits, I wait till you've left. It does sound like you're being rude, doesn't it? Hey, baby. 
Want me to ask those biscuits? I actually had a crack at baking for the very first time and I did it using one of Shan's recipes. Now, this is available on her Instagram. If you go to her stories, uh, she encourages people to actually head across and, you know, cook using her recipes. I said it at the beginning as well. Her Instagram is one of the most delightful visual feasts that you will ever lay your eyes on. Follow Shan Redgrave. It's amazing. It's like a living cookbook. It's absolutely incredible. But she gave me this recipe for her focaccia and I thought I would have a crack at baking for the very first time using one of Shan's recipes. So I'm going to give you the recipe right now, but we encourage you to head across to Shan's Instagram page, go to the little archived story for the focaccia and give it a crack yourself. So you'll need 400 grams of strong bread flour. You are, that's B-R-E-A-D. It's not flour that was bred strongly from the, from the bloodlines of weaker flours. Good, good. Yep. Okay. It's off to a weird start. 100 grams of semolina flour. Then you'll need 300 mils of lukewarm water. 7 grams of instant yeast, which is one of those sachets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you'll need a teaspoon of sugar. Then you'll need heaps of really good olive oil. And when I say heaps, I mean heaps. Just okay. have a, a bottle of very fresh olive oil. Uh, then you'll need 50 ml of extra virgin olive oil, which is just the kind of the, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff. You'll need some sea salt flakes. And then you'll need fresh rosemary. So you pop the yeast, the sugar, and the water into a jug. And then you stir that. And you let it stand for a few minutes until it looks like, you know when you make Milo? And you don't stir it. You know, you pour the Milo on and you let oh, it Oh, yeah, that's how my sister would have it. She would just basically fill up three-quarter glass with Milo. Yeah. Dabble a little bit of milk on top of that. Yeah. And then eat this kind of chocolate slush. Yeah. How? How's her health? Not great. Okay. <laughs> then what you want to do once you've recovered, uh, you, so you've let the yeast turn into that. It's basically got like an inch or a few, like a you know centimeter or so of kind of brown foam on top of this water, right? Okay, good. It looks pretty gross. It looks like sea foam. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, and it smells a little funky. So then you combine the flowers, right? You combine the flowers and a couple of pinches of sea salt in a bowl, and then you make a well in the center, and you pour that mucky yeast water in. And then you... I'm <laughs> making this sound fucking terrible. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> then you mix that together with a fork uh, to begin with, and then once the doughs come together and it's shaggy, you use your hands to bring it together, and then you put it onto a floured bench, and you start to knead it. Now... I made a mistake you in my You over-needed, yeah. Now, because the thing is, I went for about seven minutes. Mm. She re- Sean recommends five minutes, and it kind of has this lovely tacky, doughy, round kind of vibe to it. But five minutes, yeah. Keep flouring the surface so the outside of it is kind of dusty. Uh-huh. Pop it into an oiled bowl, and that's what the plain crappy olive oil is for, just for oiling the bowl. Okay. Yep. And then you cover it and let it sit in a warm spot for 30 to 40 minutes until it's doubled in size. Doubled, okay. So I put it... It's very cold in our apartment back on the mainland. So when we are across there being sneaky little shits, we uh, have the heater going a fair bit because it's cold. So I just put it under the heater. Yeah. But um, I mean, is that too warm? Uh, Sean said no. Okay. I said so you literally, can pop it under the heater? Uh, yeah. I mean, just don't put it in front of a fucking furnace or in a pizza oven. Somewhere warm. You okay. Know. Okay. Yep. Then uh, you want to kind of give it some pokes. And if it's pillowy and if your fingerprints kind of stay in it, then you whack it into the tray, right? Yes. Spread it out. Yes. And then dig your fingers into it, right? Now, make. oh, by the way, make sure that the, um, the tray or the pan you put it into are oiled first. And that's more of that shitty olive oil. Uh, or is no, that the good olive oil? I would go oil. with the good stuff because what it does is it makes the bottom crunchy. Now, Sean did hers in an actual cast iron skillet kind of thing. Yeah, we don't have one of those. No, and I'm going to look into that at some point. They're very expensive. I know, I know, but I want one. <clears throat> Christmas presents. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so you basically pop it in there, spread it out, dig your fingers in. Now, I pinched by mistake. You meant to literally just like... I know, you were tweaking the dough. Was, it was strange. I came into the room and I was very like, erotic. What you, <laughs> it was, was very, it was very sensuous. You were making all these little nipples, but you've got to make little 
holes. I was also moaning at it, which is weird. <laughs> then what you do is you get the good olive oil and you basically dri- like almost pour it over until mm-hmm. it fills those holes, right? you got to fill those holes, Tegan. Stop it. Fill them right up. Don't look at me in the eye when you say that. Fill those oily holes and then you got to cover it with heaps of sea salt flakes, okay? I mean... I didn't put enough salt or oil on, and then later on I re-salted and re-oiled, and it just got twice as good. Yeah. So um, you let that prove with the oil and the salt on it for another 30... So thir- it gets a double proof. Yeah. And that, 30 minutes for that second proof, right? Uh, and I believe that's covered. And then you, you preheat your oven to 220 degrees. You put your lovely puffed up proved focaccia in the oven for 25 minutes. In the last five minutes, you top it with sprigs of fresh rosemary, and then you bake it for that last five minutes. And then you just pop it out, let it cool for a sec, and uh, and take it out. Bob's your uncle. Well, if he is, he's going to enjoy this bread. Now, I made it, and it was delicious, but you could tell that, first of all, it was slightly overneated. It was a little bit close. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was slightly undersalted and slightly under-oiled. Now, I'm... I'm going to make it again. Today. Today? Yeah. So, uh, that's... Sean's incredible focaccia recipe. If this was a little bit of a rambling explanation, do just go to Sean's social media. Do that anyway. Yeah. It's an absolute feast. So head across to her Instagram page and make sure you look at her recipe and do give it a crack because if you're scared of baking, as I was, I discovered that really it's just flour and water. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I don't know. It's just, it's just flour and water. It's just flour and water. Anyway, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Dish. Make sure you tune in next week. We've had an absolute blast. And remember, the berries are poisonous. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.